Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Our guest today says we all come into this world with a set of instructions. These instructions guide us toward our highest purpose and lead us to the essential truths that live deep within us. This truth is encoded in our DNA, embedded in our genetic memory, and vibrates within us on a cellular level. Every element of life carries this vibration and has its own vibrational tone. And when these tones are combined, they form, I love this phrase, they form the voice of creation. Isn't that beautiful? If we learn to listen closely, we can begin to hear that voice and allow it to guide our steps through life. Then we can begin to attune our daily actions with our higher purpose and become who we are meant to be. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your heart and mind and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Sherry Mitchell was born and raised on an Indian reservation. She received her Juris Doctorate and a Certificate of Indigenous Peoples Law and Policy from the University of Arizona. She's the founding director of the Land Peace Foundation, an organization dedicated to the global protection of indigenous rights and the preservation of the indigenous way of life. Sherry is the author of Sacred Instructions, Indigenous Wisdom for Living a Spirit-Based Change. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank you. I wanted to read your full lengthy bio because it is so intriguing and impressive. And I just trust our listeners will go look for more because there's so much more about you. But I'm really really happy to be here talking about sacred instructions. There's so much wisdom there, and I'm really excited to bring this to our listeners. So first, Sherry, I have a traditional first question on our show. Mm -hmm. I always like to ground our conversation into a bigger perspective. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, that's a really good question for me. I think that uh, traditional Web of Life teachings from an indigenous perspective, really speak very eloquently about what that means. Uh, All things connected, when we think about the indigenous uh, web of life teachings, it's more than just looking at the physicality of our connections. It goes into uh, these much deeper foundational laws of the universe. So our one of our creation stories tells us that we all come from Kachiniwis, and uh, Kachiniwis is the great seed of life. And so if you've ever seen those pictures of seeds exploding in slow motion and all of the life-giving elements traveling out throughout that um, area, then you have an image in your mind of how we be- believe life began through Kachiniwis. So we were all connected in that one seed of life. And then when that seed exploded, which is connected to the Big Bang Theory, that life matter spread and continues to spread throughout the known universe. And when we understand how 
um, those those deeper connections that we have through physicality are extended through energy and spirit, we begin to get a glimpse of what science is now discovering and labeling as uh, quantum entanglement. So what that tells us is that any matter that was once connected physically will never be disconnected spiritually or energetically. So when we think about how we're connected through this life, <clears throat> excuse me, we we realize that our connections go much deeper than that physicality, much deeper than uh, being connected to an ecosystem that sustains our lives, much deeper than being impacted by the choices we all make by living in proximity to one another, that it actually goes into the spiritual and energetic realms and keeps us connected, not only in this lifetime, but through time to the beginning of time. And so when I think about the connection of all things, I go back to that original teaching, you know, another one of those sacred instructions that that I was raised with that begins with one of our fundamental creation stories. Beautiful. That this is a great example. Thank you for that. I I have to say this book is filled with beautiful stories like that and a lot of the indigenous language and forgive me I'm not even going to try <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> going to try to pronounce your the tribe the reservation you grew up on some of these stories and and the different language cuz I I really don't want to butcher it but I'm I'm confident you're going to bring that in just like you did throughout our conversation today. And and that was a, a beautiful example, um, bringing that creation story in. And I'm really curious about your story growing up. I'm curious about what life was like for you on the reservation and how you um, deepened into this, these sacred instructions, this beautiful, deep wisdom that you share in the book. You share some stories of, of, of growing up and, and it's a beautiful, I love how you weave your stories in with the wisdom, indigenous wisdom, and then just like you did just now, science too. So tell us a little bit about you and your story. Hmm. Well, I am uh, Bunawabskek. I grew up on uh, Bunawabskek tribal territory in central Maine. Our tribes are from Maine and the Canadian Maritimes. And our community, uh, Bunawabskek, is an island that is located in the Penobscot River. So I grew up as uh, part of a riverine culture. We were very connected to our waterways and actually learned how to paddle a canoe before I knew how to ride a bike. My grandfather had me out on the water when I was very, very young. And many of my earliest memories um, and, you know, the memories throughout my childhood involve spending a great deal of time with my grandfather and my grandmother and other elders in our community. And just this way of life that's steeped in communal connection. So we were always raised to believe that we were um, responsible for one another. We were always raised to believe that we were connected to and responsible for the earth around us, uh, that we had this familial connection, uh, what we call Andilnabamuk, uh, which is a recognition that we are related to all of life, uh, human and non-human, that exists within this world that we that we live in and so many of the things that I um, grew up understanding didn't seem to be uh, part of this deep wisdom 
that I now recognize it to be because it was everyday life. Um, I remember one time my grandmother, well, several times my grandmother waking me up at about four o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'm still staggering around a little bit and bundling me up in, in warm clothes if it was winter time and, you know, having me in front of her and, and tying the hood on my coat and, and instructing me that I needed to go to this family's house and bring them a bag of clothing for their children, winter clothing for their children and a bag of food. And I needed to put it on their door and bring a big pine bow with me so that I could erase my uh, footprints after I left the, their house so that nobody would know where I came from um, or who had brought those things uh, to their home. You know, so this sense of real responsibility and taking care of one another was instilled within me at a very young age. And then, you know, it's the same thing with my grandfather. He would bring me along with him when he would go and, um, you know, fix the steps for Susie down over the hill whose steps were falling apart or, um, you know, to go and, and mow somebody's lawn or, you know, we would go shopping for people. And we had this really strong sense of, of family belonging within the entire community. And it, it cut both ways because when we misbehaved as children, you know, that whole long walk home, we got in trouble from every grandma along the way before we finally got to our house and, mm-hmm. and got in trouble from our own grandmas and moms <laughs> when we got there. So, it, you know, it was this, this real sense of of caring, uh, community, belonging, responsibility, and understanding that we don't have a right to anything unless we have a balancing set of responsibilities that's attached to it, that we can't claim anything for ourselves unless we make sure that we're um, being responsible for ensuring that others have those same rights. And it wasn't until I was much older and I actually went outside the community that I realized that that was a little bit different from the things that were going on outside of our community because we were fairly insulated there during my younger years. Uh, and, I, you know, it, it didn't occur to me that you didn't just take care of other people. And when I started to demonstrate some of those inborn and inbred tendencies um, that I had to make sure that others were okay. I remember getting made fun of by some of the kids in uh, the communities outside of our communities when I had to transition into school there when I was a little bit older. And it was at that time that I started to realize that there was a distinction and had to actually find my own balance in that place of, of, of deciding who do I want to be? Do I want to fit into this larger mainstream culture that seems to have much less caring involved in it and attached to it, um, be very individualized? Or do I want to be a reflection of my upbringing? And so it took me a few years, you know, through that those uh, complicated teen years to decide who I really wanted to be. And, and then I started to recognize the incredible value that um, I was given uh, by my grandparents, by the other people in my community, uh, in regard to having this deep sense of commitment towards the well-being of those around me. And so when I when I think about my younger years, I think about those things. You know, there was a lot of mischief, there was a lot of ceremony, there were a lot of cultural events, but it really goes back to that value um, that's connected to our sense of belonging to one another and responsibility toward one another. Mm. 
the sense of belonging yeah. I, I love that and you write a lot about the illusion of separation we talk about it on our show a lot and even the the myth and the belief system and structure that goes with that big outside world there you also do a really nice history of that of 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 your people being in the oneness and living that way and then man coming over and and colonizing do you want to just share from your perspective that illusion of separation that myth that we've created yeah i would love to i often joke with people friends of mine uh who are non-native who come from a a more colonial background that you know we have a different perspective because we were never kicked out of the garden and so Mm. when when we go back to that understanding of of separation of othering um it can go back as far as that original story that came out of um, the Christian doctrine where the two central figures in the Garden of Eden started to see themselves as other. They started to um, believe in this distinction between them and all of the other elements of creation that existed within that garden, and then they felt ashamed and they had to cover themselves because they thought that they were uh, separate. And so in my mind, I see that moment as being the moment of original sin, uh, not that um, that it was uh, purposeful or intentional um, choice to have this separation, but it was a demarcation point of what I believe is a very deep spiritual and mental illness that has plagued the entire planet. So this belief in separation has driven nearly every war that we've ever had. It's been embedded deeply into the colonial patriarchal beliefs that have been promoted for the last 17 centuries across the globe. It has influenced our relationships with one another. And so when I talk in the beginning of of the book about our creation song, which is that intonation that we carry, the um, vibrational tune that uh, is a reflection of our own individual gifts, but also is our way of connecting with the higher harmonic vibration of creation, um, within that, there is a a guidance system. And so it's like a beacon, you know, when we're our little GPS navigator, when we begin to get off track, it starts to send out an alarm. And so when I look at the history of violence that's unfolded between populations on this planet, and I look at Um, that in correlation to microcosmic views of healing that needs to transpire within an individual, um, it looks very similar to me. So when somebody is, is sick and they come in contact with the medicine that's going to heal them, uh, which they are instinctively drawn to. If you look in in the natural world, um, when animals are sick, they instinctively know where to go to get the medicine that they need in order to heal. And I believe that we have that same thing within us. Uh, we've lost, many people have lost their connection to knowing what medicine they need um, is and where to find it because of this illusion of separation that has clouded their vision. But I think that we instinctively know where to go in order to get 
the healing that we require. And so I think it's the same with spiritual healing as it is with physical healing. And when somebody is is taking a medicine, they often have a, a more inflammatory response when they come in contact with the medicine that's actually going to heal them. Unless you're taking something that is masking your symptoms, that's the general trajectory for healing is that, you know, the there's an inflammation or a fire that rises up in response to whatever the sickness is um, and the relationship that it begins to have with the elements of the healing. So when we think about a fever in the body, people often look at that as a symptom of illness. Uh, when a fever erupts in the body, that's actually a symptom of healing, that the body is is rising up to burn off whatever it is that's making it sick. So it's a symptom of healing. And I think that the same thing is true between cultures that clashed here on this continent, that those who had been wandering out in the world who were becoming more and more separated from the source of truth within them, who had become more deeply um, embedded into this illusion of separation had an alarm going off within them. Uh, that alarm that was going off within them kept guiding them to one culture after another where their connection to their source of life, their connection to Mother Earth, that you know umbilical cord that ties us all to our lives here on the Earth. Um, uh, those populations were still drawn to, repeatedly drawn to populations where that umbilical cord was still pulsing with life where there was still two-way communication between um, the lives of those on the earth and the life giver um, within the earth. And so um, when those two cultures collided, it was like that homeopathic response where those who were suffering under this spiritual and mental illness um, of illusion, of separation, um, of othering, superiority, entitlement, all of the things that go along with that, when they came in contact with cultures that were um, outside of that illusion, who did not see themselves as separate from the rest of life, there was that flare-up, that fire, um, that homeopathic response that occurred. And so when we look at the long arc of conscious evolution of our species, uh, we see that that five to 600 year time period is really just a blip um, within that larger sphere of our conscious evolution. And so that fire that's erupted within that time period is actually a symptom of healing that was um, prepared to take place. And so um, what happened was that those who came in response in connect into contact with that element of their healing, which was um, freedom from the illusion of separation and a recognition and a reuniting with their sense of oneness with all life, fought back vehemently against that belief. And they thought back vehemently uh, against letting go of their illusion of separation. And we've seen the evidence of that really unfolding before our eyes over the last five or six centuries. And in the last decade, we've seen it amplifying um, as a result of our ability to see one another on a regular basis because of technology. So even though it seems like there's an increase 
in um, divisiveness, an increase in separation, an increase in violence and hostility towards one another. We're actually living in a time where there is less violence on the planet than there was at other times in, in history. So there's actually a, a a factual decrease in violence in the world, even though it seems like there's much more because we're able to see it now. We're able to see what's going on in everybody's backyard. And so um, because it's within our line of sight, we're thinking that there's a great deal more of it. But actually, it's it's really a hopeful time because uh, everything that we see, everything that's coming into our line of sight is presenting us with an opportunity to heal. And when we think about all of the things that are coming up really strongly, there's a lot of racial violence that's going on. Um, there's a lot of political divisiveness, a lot of uh, religious divisiveness that we're seeing uh, come up before our eyes. It's coming up because we're ready now. And we're ready to actually work with one another to strip away the masks, to strip away the illusion, and to see the humanity and the beauty in one another so that we, we can begin to heal our hearts and our minds from the corruption of this virus that is the illusion of separation and begin to heal ourselves and one another in a real collective way. So to me, that's a really beautiful and hopeful thing, even though it's really frightening when you're living in the midst of the fever that's raging um, in order for the healing to take place. Thank you, Sherry. I really appreciate how you pull all those threads in and, and really talk about this illness as, as healing. You also say in the book that it's, you, you talk about conflict transformation, not conflict resolution, that what we're seeing on the planet right now is this opportunity for real growth and healing. Speak a little bit about that conflict transformation before we go to break. Well, I think that one of the challenges that we have um, in relation to our lingo and the way that we have been trained to address certain things is to find resolution. Uh, and a resolution doesn't bring us to a new state of being. It doesn't bring us to a new state of awareness. And so in order for us to really shift away from the conflicts that we've been embroiled in over and over and over again is not to simply find a stopping point, but it's for us to actually transform the way that we see, the way that we feel. There has to be a real transformation of the heart in order for true change to occur. And so, you know, we need to really start looking at the distinction between finding uh, a stopping place, which is what resolution really ends up being, and finding a true pathway to change. And um, as you said, there there is a lot of things in the book that, you know, that are outlined that talk about how do we do that in a way um, that gives us a pathway forward together, that creates a pathway forward for life. And so when we're thinking about transforming, I heard this really wonderful thing, and I can't remember who said it. Um, it was one of the, the great thinkers of our time. It might have been it might have been Wayne Dyer, but they were talking about um, this word transform, that um, trans really means to go beyond. And, uh, you know, then we have form. So you're really wanting to go beyond the current form. And so we don't do that by simply um, continuing to cycle through uh 
the same types of behaviors and beliefs that have led us to the place where we are today. We only truly go beyond our current form when we're able to shift our beliefs, shift the way that we see things, shift the way that we feel about certain things and about one another so that we begin behaving differently in the world. And, um, you know, we've been trapped in these models of conquest for so long that we believe that finding a stopping point whether it be we stop some other who disagrees with us or who we disagree with um, or, um, you know, temporarily stopping uh, a battle that's raging on is uh, the way for us to, and this is in quotes, win. Um, but the truth of the matter is we'll never be able to change the way that we're living in relationship with one another if we continue to operate within those same models of conquest. Mm. And that means that, you know, we don't invest our power to simply find a stopping place for others who are uh, not in alignment with us or for, um, you know, practices, policies, systems that we think are wrong. Uh, because all that does is, you know, we stop them momentarily, we move them to the side, we put our own people in place, think that we're going to solve this problem, uh, when all we're doing is actually perpetuating this outdated paradigm. And so in order for us to really truly transform, we need to be able to um, engage in activities that are really going to change our hearts and our minds in fundamental ways. Mm. Beautiful. So the invitation really is to embrace conflict, move into conflict. And you talk a lot about the masculine and feminine approaches to even problem solving. We're going to talk about so much more when we return on break. They're really the indigenous wisdom for living a spirit-based change. There's so much here. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We'll be right back. Listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at empowerradio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at empowerradio.com. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers. People who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. 
Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody, this is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Positive Radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. We're here today with Sherry Mitchell, author of Sacred Instructions, Indigenous Wisdom for Living Spirit-Based Change. You can find out more about the book and Sherry at sacredinstructions.life. Again, that's sacredinstructions.life. And Sherry, right before the break, um, thank you for that beautiful explanation and conversation about conflict transformation. I think it's so important. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this indigenous wisdom that we're talking about is how you talked about the masculine and feminine and the women's role um, when there's a problem to go within and listen for the solution and then take it out. Can you share a little bit about more about the masculine and feminine roles? I'd be happy to. Um, one of the things that is really embedded within our teachings is an understanding of the need for balance between the masculine and feminine. And there are so many beautiful examples of that within our cultural traditions, many of which I touch on in the book that we aren't going to have time to go into today. But the feminine is really the um, creative center within us all because we all have masculine and feminine energies within us that are not gender specific. We're comprised of a combination of masculine and feminine energies that are designed specifically to be in alignment with our 
creation song, whatever that is, whatever our purpose is here upon this earth. And so when we think about the feminine, the feminine um, is embodied within a, a physical body that represents the cultivation of life within the sphere of our womb, which is connected to the other side, brings forth life from the other side, but also cultivates that life in the quiet space beneath our hearts. And so that feminine intuitive wisdom that we gain by connecting with our internal mechanisms is really heart-based intuitive guidance. That feminine aspect, the heart-based intuitive guidance, is meant to direct our external actions out in the world, which are reflected by the masculine energies. And so when we think about the way that our society has been framed for so long, we can see where the suppression of the feminine has led to external action out in the world that is disconnected from that heart-based intuitive wisdom. Because it's it's really about uh, life creation creating, life-supporting, life-nurturing, and life-protecting. That's the role of that feminine energy is to ensure the continuation of life. And so the things that we bring to life from within our creative center, from we, within that that feminine pool of intuitive wisdom and guidance, um, actually is designed specifically to direct our external action out in the world, which we then utilize our masculine energies to be able to complete. So we would be imbalanced human beings if we were operating 100% with our feminine energy or 100% with our masculine energy. We see the evidence of that now in the world where our ecosystems have been destabilized, our societies have been destabilized. Our relationships have been diminished. Um, their actions that are being taken are not life-creating. They're not life-supporting. They're not life-nurturing. And they're certainly not life-protecting. And so um, if all we did was is utilize our feminine energy, we'd sit around and we'd come up with really brilliant ideas and then we would never manifest them in the world. And so, um, you know, we have uh, unchecked external action devoid of wisdom or a lot of wisdom that's not being made manifest in order for us to actually be uh, fully embodied, fully functional human beings. We need to be able to have a marriage of the two, the divine marriage of the masculine and feminine operating within us. And so um, we talk about that uh, need for the masculine to cultivate their relationship with that heart-based intuitive wisdom and recognize that there's a, a lifetime of learning attached to that for those with heavy masculine energies. And, and a symbol of that that I use in our book is related to our word for heart, uh, which is Muslim, and a word for grandfather, which is Muslimal. And so the word for grandfather, Muslimal, is uh, actually a derivative of our word for heart, uh, Muslim. Uh, and there's an understanding, there's a whole teaching involved in the passage of that name of somebody actually stepping into and honoring that role of carrying the name of Muslim. Uh, it means that over time they've learned to incorporate that divine 
intuitive heart-based wisdom of the feminine into their lives so that they can arrive at a place in their life where they have the honor of putting on the cloak of the grandfather, you know, putting on that robe of the grandfather and carrying that name Musumul, which means, um, you know, one who's really connected to their heart, um, specifically a male who is connected to his heart or masculine uh, connected to the feminine heart-based intuitive wisdom. And, you know, it's the same for for those who have this heavy feminine energy where they need to actually incorporate some of the masculine qualities into their own being so that they can actually bring to fruition the things that they have within them that need to be born. And so there's a, a real correspondence between the masculine and the feminine. And I think that it's really important for us to recognize the distinction uh, right now between um, male and female and masculine and feminine. <clears throat> because we're living in a time where there's a lot of polarization um, between groups. And the lines seem to be being very distinctly drawn between groups. And this has given rise uh, within our societies to identity politics, which can become very divisive very quickly. And so when we think about what we need in the world, um, there's a big push right now for there to be more women in office. And I think that we absolutely need to have more representation of the divine feminine within every um, branch of our governments. We definitely need it within all of our system societies um, and structures within our societies. However, we also have to be very clear that these are energetic characteristics and that they're not necessarily held in, uh, uh, in gender identity. And so we see a lot of um, women in the world who believe that power is held within the structures created by the patriarchy, that if they can achieve status within that patriarchal structure, then they've achieved some type of power. Um, and we also see men who recognize the power of the heart, who recognize the power of gentleness, who recognize that true true power lies within this construct of embedded, divinely loving relationships with one another. And so when we're thinking about masculine and feminine and bringing the balance between the two, we have to look beyond another illusion, which is this illusion of gender identity, and really look to the characteristics of the heart that are being represented by the individuals who are coming forward to take on leadership roles within our communities and our societies, our nations, our places of business, our places of worship, wherever it is that um, we happen to be, to ensure that there is a balance between the heart-based intuitive wisdom and the external action that's going on in the world. Um, because this, this illusion of separation has become so powerful that we believe that we have to separate from aspects of ourselves. And so we end up going through the world as fragmented, commodified parts of ourselves in different settings. So we are one person when we're at home, we're another person when we're at work, we're another person when we're out with our friends, and then we're another person when we're in our places of, of, of worship or our spiritual communities. And um, this is a reflection of the commodification of life. 
So life has been broken down into these segmented, commodified, saleable parts. And we've done this to ourselves. And this prevents us from actually singing our creation song because we don't get to show up in the world as fully embodied human beings who are, um, you know, simply uh, a reflection of a spiritual being having a physical experience. And so in order for us to move beyond that, we need to find those individuals. Uh, We have to be those individuals. Um, who are willing and able and courageous enough to let go of all of that commodification and fragmentation of our own being so that we can show up in the world fully embodied, so that we don't strip away our core values when we walk into our workplace, so that we don't set ourselves apart from the things that we hold to be most dear um, when we are given another role to play, that we can show up at work, that we can show up with our friends, that we can show up um, in our um, religious communities and spiritual communities as the same person so that we can live one life. And so I think that, you know, understanding this dynamic between masculine and feminine resolves a conflict within us as well, because we're not stripping away our heart-based intuitive wisdom. One of the most tragic things that has happened under this patriarchal structure is that, um, you know, there are a lot of people who say, you know, all it's just um, men who are the problem and we need to get rid of the men. But the men have been sent out into the world um, by these systems that have been created without the benefit of their own hearts. And so, you know, there there is a need for us to remember and to gentle our approach to this, to recognize that um, part of the role of the feminine is to hand the heart back to the masculine. And to bring together that feminine and masculine energy in a way that it's working in balanced harmony with one another again, not to condemn the masculine for being separated from the heart, but to actually hand that back. The um, words we have, uh, where I come from, we're part of a confederation of tribes, just like the Iroquois is a confederation where they're neighbors to the east. Um, we also have a confederation, and our tribes um, have five different tribal communities that are attached to it as well, and one of those communities is the Mi'kma'ki, and um, one of the most beautiful representations of this that I've heard is that uh, in the in the Mi'kma'ki um, language, the word for wife actually translates to the one who keeps me connected to my heart. Mm. And the word for husband is the one who takes me under his skin. So it's a recognition of the masculine bringing the feminine in uh, under his skin into the internal sphere within, and then the feminine connecting the masculine through that um, joining to that heart-based wisdom. And so when we think about how we need to balance the masculine and feminine within ourselves, within our societies, um, and all of the things that we're connected to, that really goes back to easing and erasing the conflicts that we carry within us that are caused by this, um, you know, the sickness of separation that has even separated us from ourselves in many ways. Um, And um, not only separating the masculine and feminine, but separating us into fragmented saleable 
multiple parts. You know, so even when somebody's single, our most personal relationships, they say that they're on the market. Mm. So every aspect of our life has become commodified and saleable. And so that really connects in a really deep way to all of those teachings that are um, connected to, you know, beginning with our creation song into the, the, you know, kind of joyful and really necessary marriage of all aspects of who we are and bringing that forward in a fully embodied way. Wow, I, I could listen to you all day. This, this is so yummy, and I'm just, as, as I'm hearing you talk about this fully embodied way and really this balance, this harmonic balance of who we be as divine feminine, divine masculine, you mentioned even taking our core values to work, taking our core values to school, taking it to the streets, and you have a beautiful section on core cultural values. And I really love the juxtaposition that you have of Native American values versus the Euro-American values. Can you speak to that? Because I think it's really helpful for us moving forward to really adjust ourselves and think about what we are connecting to and what we do believe. Yeah, I think that that's really important because one of the things that happens is that um, under colonization is that there is this um, kind of uh, need to assimilate, uh, which is really the homogenization of entire populations of people. And so when we think about these core values, uh, many of those core values are held in our traditional teachings, whether you're uh, indigenous to this land, you know, as, as I am, to um, Wabanaki territory, to Banawapskik, um community, or whether your, um, you know, cultural traditions are from Japan or Mongolia or, um, you know, Scotland or wherever you come from, that when we strip away those cultural teachings and those cultural points of reference um, and we strip away our um, organic languages that rise up from the land that we're born upon. Um, we strip away a lot of our understandings of how to live in the world. And so we believe that our, our language contains those cultural values because it, it teaches us how to live in the world. You know, I talk about um, in, in Dilnabamuk, which is an understanding that we're all related, that we have to, we can't ask for anything in the world without recognizing that all of our relations, which is everything, um, is also impacted. Um, and, you know, that distinction between Muslim and Muslimul, um, and looking at um, how the values that are contained within those core teachings really teach us how to live. And for us, how, that way of life is called And so when we look at the distinction between Native American or um, indigenous ways of being and this colonial way of being that has emerged um, under uh, the illusion of separation, the first and most fundamental difference is uh, the difference between communal living and that understanding of that interrelatedness and individualized living. 
where the model is whoever dies with the most toys wins. I'm going to have my individual home. There's no multi-generational learning going on in that house because families no longer live together. Um, I am going to buy all of my supplies for my individual house and create an incredible amount of waste um, versus this communal way of living where there's multi-generational learning that goes on, where there's an appreciation for the progression of aging and the wisdom that's associated with that. So there's also a distinction between age and youth. Um, so if we look at the modern society, um, pop culture, it really glorifies youth and beauty. And it really is terrified of death and aging. And so when we glorify youth and beauty, we also kind of uh, separate ourselves with the wisdom that comes with aging. And so what ends up happening is that we have a really immature society that develops as a result of that. And we, we certainly can see evidence for that if we look around at um, what's going on within the mainstream pop culture, that there is an absence of deep wisdom um, that has um, uh, kind of uh, made itself evident, I guess, in the discussions that are being had around the world where it's really um, kind of juvenile and petty the way that, th that um, adults are talking to one another right now on every spectrum across the board. And so, you know, looking at those core values, individuality, youth and wisdom, uh, looking at the difference between inclusion and exclusion, the suicide rate has escalated over the past, I think, five years. Um, I just recently saw a statistic, and I apologize if I get it wrong, but uh, maybe over the last five to 10 years um, has escalated by 30%. Because we live in a culture that actually feeds on exclusionary practices, because there is this need to amplify and elevate oneself over another. And so that's part of this competitive framework that has emerged under colonization and this whole individualized, there can only be one winner. So we have to elevate ourselves over another. We have to be in competition with them all the time. And so as a result of that, there's this real exclusionary process that goes on within our societies that creates this deep loneliness within people, even when they're surrounded by others. They still feel the exclusion. They still feel the competitiveness. They still feel this separation and this othering that is taking place. Whereas in an indigenous um, worldview and our way of life, uh, inclusion, belonging, a sense of responsibility towards one another, ensuring that everyone has enough. We have these uh, two words, uh, mama bizu means I have enough. Uh, Alabizu means everyone has enough. And so looking at the world from this core value of enough um, and whether or not everyone has enough to live their life with a sense of wellness, with a sense of belonging, with a sense of love, with a sense of inclusion, with all of the things that they need in order to support their lives in a dignified way and to find their own sense of value and meaning within the world. Um, you know, all of those things are contained within those cultural values. And when we strip away our cultural identity in order to try to fit into um, an hom a homogenized society, we're actually damaging the health and well-being of that society. So if we get look to the natural world, which is a great teacher to us, we see that our ecosystems, in order to be whole, fully functional and healthy, are incredibly diverse.
And so it's the same with our societies. If we want our societies to be whole and fully functional and healthy, there needs to be uh, a uh, preservation of the diversity that exists within those societies. So rather than stripping away our cultural identities and all of our cultural values with them, we need to actually include all of that diversity, celebrate um, all of the expressions of our uh, cultural identities, um, and 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 create acceptance. You know, transform ourselves into a more accepting, loving. Um, species so that we don't feel the need to have to be the same in order to be accepted because you know that whole notion of sameness being safe and difference being dangerous is one of the most toxic elements within our belief systems now as human beings and it's resulting in the mass destruction of life all over the planet and so if we want to be healthy fully functional um, societies that thrive and that grow and that you know develop vibrantly we need to be able to preserve the diversity and the rich cultural traditions within um, all of the different populations mm. beautiful I'm just going to remind the the listeners here that you can find so much more of this beautiful wisdom in Sacred Instructions by Sherry Mitchell. It's a beautiful, rich, full book. I I am going to read it again. I'm going to start over from the beginning and take it all in again. Sherry, in just a, a minute or two here, is there anything more that you really want to share about Sacred Instructions and this wisdom for us living spirit-based change now that we haven't been able to talk about? Well, I think that it's really important for us to understand the depth of our connectivity. I talked briefly about the web of life connections at the beginning. And so when we think about that in relation to historical trauma, uh, genetic memory, there's a whole series of teachings we could go into if we had another you know, five days um, about those things. Um, but recognizing that connectivity, recognizing the depth of that um spiritual and energetic vibrational relationship that we have um, really will help us to understand the anxiety and the despair that a lot of people around the world are feeling inexplicably. Um, when they understand the depth of our connectivity to one another, they begin to understand that in a whole different way. And right now there are a lot of people that are feeling despair on the planet. And part of healing that despair is re- connecting with the truth of who we are, um, remembering our uh, true connections to one another so that we can begin to heal those things collectively. And I would like to invite everybody to look into Healing the Wounds of Turtle Island. You can find more about it at HealingTurtleIsland.org, which is a global healing ceremony that we have in our territory um, that invites people to come in and to heal the collective wounds that we have all been sharing throughout our shared history of violence with one another. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. I appreciate you coming on and I, I would be willing to do a five day marathon with you. <laughs> it's so important. And it's just, I'm just so resonant with everything you're saying. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, and I just uh, say to you, uh, Kachiwili One and uh, Pasilta and Dilnabamaka, thank you very much. And, and, uh, you know, let us always be mindful of all of our relations. Mm, beautiful. And listeners, I want to leave you with one of Sherry's quotes. We are part 
of a universe, a collection of individual notes in one continuous song, the song that sang all life into being. This song is the drone of the music, the musical universe. It is the foundation upon which all structure is built. If we listen closely, we can hear this creation song echoing in our bones. It exists in a vibrational frequency that emanates throughout the entire universe and resonates deeply within us. This tone is the voice of creation, the voice that first spoke and brought all life into form. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <music>